Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. Conference realignment has once again shaken up college football with the Pac-12 being picked apart by the Big Ten and Big 12. The latest moves have spawned all sorts of questions about the future of the sport and its playoff system, the impact on non-revenue sports, and if anyone is actually looking out for the athletes. To discuss this ever-changing NCAA landscape, we invited Dennis Dodd, National College Football Writer for CBS Sports, back onto the podcast. Dennis, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. It's been crazy, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, I guess to start, which of the Pac-12 conference departures was the most surprising to you, or, or do you feel like this whole thing was sort of predictable? Uh, well, it's the most surprising was USC and UCLA. That <laughs> That happened last summer, and that put the thought in everybody's mind that what happened last week could actually happen, that the conference might break up. So, yeah, that, I mean, look, it was, every as of Thursday night, according to my reporting, everybody was in. And something changed overnight or early Friday morning, Easter time, that uh, that Oregon and Washington weren't on the call with the presidents on Friday morning. And that was a surprise to everyone. What I suspect happened was that Fox came across, came back with more money and sweetened the pot to allow them to go to the big 10. This is, this all sounds very crass and capitalistic and everything, but as in everything realignment, it's all about the money. You know, I think for Notre Dame fans there, this is shocking and weird and everything but they're really keeping their eyes on the ACC because they know if the ACC implodes, then Notre Dame's got to do something like they did when the Big East imploded. You know, their basketball teams are there. Their Olympic sports teams are there. So if the ACC goes bye-bye, they have to do something. Where do you see the ACC going with this? What, what do you think the viability of them surviving this is? Well, uh, I and others report, well, first of all, on – on that take, I, I think they're fine. I think right now it is as it was. There's three um, schools in that league that are pissed off to some level, Florida State more than Clemson and Miami because they're more public about it. But I still say, where are they going to go and how are they going to get out? Now, there was a story that broke last week, I think on Sportico or front office sports, that um, that. Uh, they, Florida State was engaging with J.P. Morgan Chase, which is a private equity firm. So theoretically, they could get J.P. Morgan Chase to pay the buyout, whatever that is, because it's not a fixed number by any means. Um, but then who's going to take them? The, I, the SEC is done for now. I think if the SEC does anything, it's going to be Notre Dame, which, again, may be a long shot for them, or North Carolina. That's what I'm told. So there, that hasn't changed. Uh, look. 13 years of being mad is better than breaking up a conference. So I think they're there. The latest is that the PAC 12 is, is vetting um, Cal and Stanford's members uh, because Stanford is in a, again, a desperate position. If they don't get into a conference, I think they're going to have to go independent. And so you hear their name mentioned with the mountain West. I don't see Stanford playing in the same conference with a Boise state and Fresno, if you know what I mean. Um, and if they do go independent, what happens to those uh, minor sports, which are the best in the country? 
Yeah, they're not. They not only won twenty six directors cups. They're the feeder system for our Olympic teams. So there's all kinds of stuff going on uh, behind the scenes. But I, I don't, I don't think the ACC is in any danger of breaking up right now because I don't see an out for those schools. And following up with that, you mentioned the Stanford Cal angle. Could could the ACC leverage them coming in to reopen negotiations to get that? contract a little bit fatter because it's way in the distance when their contract comes up with ESPN. Well, that's the thing. I don't see the value in Stanford and Cal. They, I, they're certainly not uh, equal in value to what the ACC schools are getting now, or that's what I've been told. So in that sense, it doesn't address the core issue, which is more revenue for really all the schools. Um, Florida State, Clemson, and Miami want more because they're you know, they think they're the uh, the banner carriers for the league and, and probably are. But I don't think that in and of itself addresses that. And again, you have that. And then who's going to pay for it? You know, ESPN is going to have to pay for it. I guess they're saving money with the uh, Pac-12 going away. But look, Oregon and Washington are taking uh, fractional shares from the Big Ten. Certainly Stanford and Cal aren't going to get a full share in the uh in the acc so that answers your questions no it it does not address the core issue of of revenue i don't think in the acc dennis how did pac-12 commissioner george klyavkov mess this up so badly you know what when the book is written it's going to look like a james michener novel a thousand pages uh multiple characters it wasn't all his fault certainly it fell in his lap when i'll just i'll just shorten it that um you know, last October, yeah, last October when the Big 12 signed its deal for uh, $31.7 million, I was told by multiple sources that the same deal was on the table for the Pac-12 and they rejected it. And that was probably the biggest mistake. They thought they were worth more. But at that time, they didn't have anything to compare it to. As soon as the Big 12 did that, that became the number. We have to get the 31 points to keep it together. Well, they didn't have the institutional or uh, the knowledge of basic knowledge of TV rights landscapes to know, boy, you take it and run. Because since then, uh, Brett Yormark has been told by ESPN executives that if we tried to do this today, we couldn't. We couldn't afford it. And the money's not there. I don't have to tell you what's happened in the cable industry mm-hmm. and specifically Disney and ESPN. So, um, yeah, and then he completely misread the room, could not get a linear deal. And in the end, the only reason he presented to the presidents last week was that Colorado had left and the remaining schools demanded some sort of, you know, hey, what are we looking at here? And it was bad. It was 20 million, 23 million, all on Apple, uh, incentive based. And I use this line, the Arizona president actually stole it from me. It was like Girl Scout cookies going door to door. Hey, you get a new bike at the end of the summer if you sell this many cookies and that that they were going to be in the business of selling subscriptions um, while they were playing football. Uh, uh, cookies and a bike actually sounds pretty good to me, but it I really don't does. pay the bill. That's that's our business model, too. <laughs> it does, right. right. You, so, by, by the way, compared to the Pac-12 right now, you guys are, have a much better business. Model. <laughs> there you go. You know, um, Notre Dame's media rights deal is going to be up for negotiation here pretty soon. In fact, they're negotiating. They've been kind of slowly negotiating now. They've got 
Pete Bavacqua, who's going to be the full-time athletic director, who at least has some background in that business. What are your thoughts about Notre Dame being able to get a competitive media rights package so that they can stay independent? Yeah, I think they're going to be fine. I you know, I see this talk about Pete Bavacqua and, oh, he wasn't hired because he had an NBC background. Yeah, wink, wink, you know, come <laughs> on. We're, who's kidding who here? F by the way, if you include Notre Dame, five of the last seven Power Five commissioners, and Notre Dame is one of those, have been from TV, entertainment, or media. So those guys aren't outliers anymore. They're orchestrating things. So I would fully expect uh, NBC or someone to step up. It's too valuable a property. And I, you know, I think it expires in 25, Eric. Is that right? Right. Yeah. And get, and get 60 million. I think that's the the number they're looking for. And that, I think that would, they would be satisfied with that. And that gets them close, kind of even right now at the SEC and close, closer to the big 10. So look, it's a negotiation. Um, if it's not big enough, they'll go elsewhere. And if they can't get the number, then maybe that's maybe that's the crossing of the Rubicon where Notre Dame considers joining a conference. I don't know. Dennis, it's hard to say that anything has settled down yet, but I, once things sort of settle down, I think the discussion has to focus back on the college football playoff and if the proposed model makes sense anymore. Um, and because of that, I think the, the, the size of the Big Ten and the SEC, I think, is becoming pretty significant. Is, uh, is do you think that college football is in danger of the Big Ten and SEC having too much power, or are we already there? Yeah, I think that you hit it on the head, and that's a story I'm working on. What does that look like when there's the big flex? I wrote a story kind of regarding that a couple of weeks ago, and I called it the big flex. When they get into the room, for example, uh, to distribute the uh, the expanded playoff revenue is going to be a monster deal, biggest in college athletics history. And they, you know, first of all, there aren't five power five conferences. Okay. Do the ACC and big 12 deserve an equal share? Um, you've already got uh, Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner going on record is saying, well, look right now it's eight, it's 80 million per school per year, just for being in the power five for starters and in the, in the CFP. Well, he said, if your league is 10 teams, such as the Pac-12, you shouldn't be getting the same amount as, say, the SEC with 14, now growing to 16. And he's probably right in terms of bringing value to the property. So that alone would suggest that the SEC um, and Big Ten with 18 teams are going to get more of a share. But I think along, along with that comes a stewardship because there's going to be so much money in the system. We've already seen this massive realignment caused by money. Is there a point where the SEC and or the Big Ten say, you know what, we're going to revenue share because we can and it's fair. And if you want to talk about a breakaway, you know, there's no way to compete with that. The Mountain West isn't going to start revenue sharing. They can't. Um, and that, that's just an example I'm throwing out there. But you thought this out. Yeah, that's the next big one. And within, I think within a year, they start negotiations on that deal. It starts, the new contract starts in 26. We've got the 12 team playoff in 24 and 25, but the new contract starts in 26, where all we know for sure is that they're going to be 12 teams. So the uh, the structure of it could be completely changed. Yeah, I wondered about that. I mean, obviously, you're not going to have as many conference champs. Um, and so you wonder if that whole thing about Notre Dame, you know, having to be no higher than number five seed, if that yeah. might change, if they just say, 
hey, the best 12 teams instead yeah. of. What you do you think the chances that. are that that could happen? I think there's a good chance of that. Um, Greg Sankey, again, reiterated that kind of briefly and off to the side, the SEC spring meetings in Destin. He said, no, we could go to 12. He said, we could have our own playoff. And it kind of keeps throwing it out there. And I think it's coded language where is it going to happen right now? I don't think so. I think what he's saying is, look, we are the stakeholders. We have the power. We can do whatever we want here. And look, it, a, tw a wide open playoff, best 12 would be immune to monopolistic charges, I think, because you'd say, hey, every, you know, hey, there's only four major conferences to begin with. Everybody has a shot. Um, everybody can get multiple teams, but I think we know guys, and I got to do the research, you know, in an average year, those two conferences would probably have eight teams in. And, you know, and I had a commissioner tell me yesterday that it's right now at six and six to begin top six ranked conference champions. And that person said, well, it has to be five and seven at least. And I wanted to tell her, yeah, you know, that this was a group of five commissioner. I went, I you know, think <laughs> they might be wide open. Um, you, you mentioned a breakaway. It, is this all leading us to college football breaking away from the NCA? Is is and what will it take to do that? Yeah, I don't know the NCAA. I think you, you we already see a de facto breakaway with um, with those two conferences in terms of recruiting budget. Um, obviously, the TV contracts, adding teams. Uh, you, you've already seen. I did a story on Georgia having. Uh, the largest recruiting budget in the country. And I'm trying to remember what the number was. Um, they had, uh, oh, they had a larger recruiting budget than like four FBS teams, you know, the bottom ones. It was 4.5 million. So some of those at the bottom. And that's that's not going to change. So yeah, I, I think that's um, I think that's definitely possible. Um, the, the Knight Commission is on record as saying the CFP, they... Uh, FBS ought to leave the NCAA and let the CFP run it. Well, I think it's a little going to be a little more uh, selective than that. You know, it, it may end up being like 50 or 80 teams. Um, or if they get really, if they start flexing, maybe just those, whatever it is now, 34 teams. Because that, that'd be, somebody pay a lot of money for that playoff. Dennis, Muffet McGraw has been kind of going down that road a little bit. She's like, yeah, go ahead, football, do your own thing leave the rest of us alone but they're not going to leave the rest of them alone from the standpoint you know cal and stanford still aren't going to be in basketball in the pac 12 if they separate correct they're just going to keep all those teams together it, it may be governed by somebody different but you're not going to have usc and ucla playing pac 12 baseball and pack and big 10 football right that's what she wants she doesn't want um the other sports to be affected by all this football moving around well there's there's a school of thought that you know this becomes football only uh in whatever entity you want to call it okay. and then minor sports just play regionally which makes total sense anyway and what it should be then we're not having this conversation about the big 10 schlepping teams all over the place and being away a week to play games uh, that's probably what it should be can that can that operate under one umbrella i don't know um you know even with oregon and washington now in the big 10 that's going to be something stanford and cal think about this i looked it up yesterday uh i use san francisco airport as the hub for those two to fly out of uh their closest 
uh, ACC road trip would be Notre Dame. It wouldn't be a football game. We know that. 1,929 miles. Their closest road trip for a full member would be Louisville, 1,990 miles. And that'd be for everybody. So you can see these are desperate times. Obviously, if, if Stanford and Cal are, are entertaining these thoughts, they don't care about that. They just want to be in a league and have a bite at the apple. Dennis, is there any chance that Notre Dame could get left out of whatever happens next or strong-armed by someone like the Big Ten or the SEC to to join in to make sure that they're part of whatever comes next? No, I don't think they'll be left out. I mean, I think I don't think you have a legitimate playoff without Notre Dame because I think that's what this is all about, whether the networks want to admit it or not. I mean, right now, the line has been drawn at uh, Florida State, Clemson, and Miami. I mean, to me, those are the the brands that don't have access or think they don't have access because they're in the ACC. But that's about it. I think everybody else is in that the network thinks should be in to stage a legitimate playoff. It's just a kind of this artificial line where Florida State and Clemson and Miami want to move up. Will they be included in the playoff? Yes, they absolutely will. But, you know, do you have uh, – can you stage – a playoff without, I'm trying to think of the school I just had in mind, um, you know, Oregon State or Washington State or Boise State. We absolutely can't. Uh, the networks, you know, again, the networks have decided that. They told us that with their actions. So, but no, Notre Dame, there's not a legitimate playoff if you don't have Notre Dame in it. Dennis, last from, from me, just before all this realignment stuff hard happened, we, it seemed like we were having a, um, congressional bill a day on NLI NIL legislation. Uh, do you think any of, is that just background? Is that just white noise or is something really going to get done there? I, I don't think anything's going to get done. I, I think the NCAA with Charlie Baker, the new president is doing his due diligence and basically running out of ground ball to where they throw up their hands and say, well, we, you know, we can't do anything. They're, they're trying to do this a couple of weeks ago. They had this big stakeholders meeting in Indianapolis to try to, uh, to try to tighten up NIL bylaws, which I'll tell you what, uh, the people that worked on that, that working group a couple of years ago, the likes of Gene Smith, Bob Bowlesby, um, some others are really uh, pissed off because they gave the NCA about 20 guidelines to follow uh, for for NIL on that June 30th, 2021 date, and they scrapped them all, scrapped all because they were worried about legal liability. Um, so now they're looking to Congress to bail them out. I think we've got so many pressure points now. We have an NLRB hearing in November. We've got all these lawsuits, and these are just going to run out, and you're going to have a model where the players are compensated. And I don't, having watched the game, the last two years on Saturdays doesn't make a damn bit of difference. I didn't care if CJ Stroud had a Bentley. I didn't care if Bryce Young had his own Dr. Pepper commercials. It was all about ball. And I think you're seeing that, look, all we're talking about is different in how many zeros if they're compensated, either employees or revenue sharing or something else. And I think, I think there's a lot of ADs which who, if they won't admit it publicly, feel it in their heart of hearts that that's where it's going because the, the, they're not going to get they're not going to get help from the federal government. And by the way, watch out if you do, um, because somebody's going to 
going to try to throw a rider in there about a new bridge in New Hampshire. I mean, do you, <laughs> does, anybody, does anybody really believe that a bill with Tommy Tuberville's name on it is going to get you know through the floor through Congress? I mean, the guy's made racist comments. He's all over the place. And, and that bill, his particular bill with Manchin, to me, was dead on arrival when in the bill, oh, you have to stay three years before you can leave a school. Well, that's not going to make it. That's going to make it in anywhere. So all these bills contain kind of a poison pill to me that they're not going to get passed. Dennis, one last question before we let you go. Let's talk about the actual football season. We're less than three weeks away from Notre Dame season opening in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, the Irish have three marquee games this coming season against Ohio State, USC, and Clemson. Which of those three games are you most intrigued by? I think uh, I think uh, Ohio State because Ohio State has issues, and um, they have to find a quarterback still. As we sit there, sit here and record this, they're going to be really, really good. They have to replace three offensive linemen, but I think they will do that. The defense is is tough. Best set of receivers in the country. We all know how Notre Dame played them. Uh, last year and they get them at home. So I think that could be a a pivot point, a hinge game or the season, you know, hinges kind of on that. And I have them between, I go through all these, all the schedules and kind of mark down the, the range. I have Notre Dame anywhere from a range from seven to 10 point, seven to 10 wins, um, kind of capping out at 10. I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but I think it'd be really exciting with, with Sam Hartman. You got a new offensive coordinator. Everybody's waiting to see how Marcus Freeman does in his second year, but I really like that Ohio State game. That's going to be huge. All right, Dennis, we really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. I'm sure you got your phone line buzzing with other things to do with all this conference realignment talk, but we really appreciate you talking to us. All right, thanks, guys. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First one I have for us is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Based on what you've seen at camp so far, are your expectations for this team higher or lower than they were at the start of camp and why? Well, I know my expectations are higher than Dennis Dodds. I I don't, unless Sam Hartman gets hurt, I couldn't see them getting down in the 7-8 win range. But I would say, to your question, Murray, maybe slightly higher. I'm more optimistic about the safeties and the defensive line than I was when camp opened. I think the commitment to Jack Kaiser having a larger role at linebacker is a good sign. Cam Hart's health so far is a really good sign. Spencer Schrader's leg strength could be a little little nudge toward a better team record than I expected just because in a close game, his range of being able to kick a 53-yard field goal with, with not just eking over the crossbar may make a difference, so... Um, but I'm not ready to kind of push it any further than that at this point. Yeah, I, I would say like maybe slightly higher, but it hasn't really changed much. I think that that uh, that could be different. We're recording this Tuesday during the day, Tuesday night. We get practice access and a full practice at that. And I feel like that's going to be very important in terms of shaping what we think of the team, because this will be our last time to see a full practice. And this time it'll be padded. I, I mean, we're hoping, I assume it's padded and we'll get plenty of physicality. And we'll actually get to see a lot of real football, which we didn't necessarily see at the, the first full practice, which was the first practice of preseason camp. So the, 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 the things that have piqued my interest are the cor- cornerbacks being potentially elite, which I don't know that I gave enough credit to coming into camp. Um, Spencer Schrader, like, like uh, Eric mentioned, I think he might be better than I expected. 
Um, but the question marks still haven't really been answered, and that's pass rush, um, the safeties, the guards, the wide receiver depth. Um, and so I, I, I'm not ready to make uh, sweeping statements on those things yet just because I haven't seen enough of, of those guys in, in real action. All right, next question is from SJB75 on the Insider Lounge. With less than three weeks until game one and considering, in my opinion, the tough schedule this team plays, name the number one aspect about this team that concerns you the most. I would say despite some nice progress by Steve Angeli in the offseason, it's it's a different team without Sam Hartman. And I'd say the same thing if Tyler Buckner was still on the roster, not to that degree, but I think the difference between Sam Hartman and Tyler Buckner in terms of wins and losses would be at least one. Um, and then I, you know, I love some of the tweaks that they've made in theory to the defense, but I need to see how real those are on the field. So those would be my concerns. Yeah. To me, it's still the pass rush. That's the thing that I I want to see more of and, and get a better sense for to determine sort of how good this defense can be. Um, and you can have great corners, but if the defense isn't rushing the passer, it's 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 hard to cover for a very, really long time. Uh, so I think uh, um, that's that's the biggest concern, um, and I think one of the biggest question marks going into the season for Notre Dame. All right, next question is from at Mike Devoy one. There's been a lot of talk about the backups slash competition at offensive tackle and offensive guard. What about center? We know Zeke is the starter, but how good is his backup? After Jared Patterson went down two years ago, we had some growing pains, as I recall. Yeah, so um, a couple years ago, Zeke Carell, who hadn't played much at all, and Josh Lug filled in for Patterson. And Lug gave them a big physical presence at center who hadn't played very much center. And you had Zeke Carell, who had been a center, but didn't have the physicality necessary to kind of hold up against some of those strong defensive fronts I think with this group Notre Dame feels pretty good about Ashton Craig and maybe him being the future at center but yeah there would be a drop-off because he doesn't know fronts and shifts like Zeke Carell does I think he's you know physical they could uh, also shift Pat Coogan back over to center he's got a lot of practice snaps at center not this year but in previous years um you know i'm not sure how if they would hold up physically as well as the this version of zeke Carell would you know the fact that hartman knows fronts and all those kinds of things coverages he it's not so as necessary when you had an inexperienced quarterback there uh but again i just think it's it would be a step back at this point but not you know, critical where they couldn't function. Yeah, I, I'm i not sure if Ashton Craig is better than Pat Coogan at center. I, I would think that Pat Coogan would be better in that spot. Um, just I think he's more physical. Um, but we haven't really seen him taking any reps there so far this fall. Now maybe that's just because the guard competition is still ongoing. And if Pat Coogan doesn't get one of those guard spots, then maybe he – falls back into the center role. Um, I'd be curious. We we already spoke to Joe Rudolph, but I don't know that we asked him if, if Zeke goes down, who would play. Um, but I, I, 
and maybe maybe we'll see some Pat Coogan at, at center as, as in these last couple of weeks before um, because he does have the experience already. So it's not like he needs to learn the position, um, but it is different and you need to get in a rhythm and, and especially when you're a center, be on the same page with your with your quarterback. So um, certainly there would be a question mark if Z Carell went down. Uh, next question is from Robert Halicki at B Halicki five eight five nine. I got a fever, a camp fever, and the only prescription is more camp, camp and insider access. Similar to my question from last week, who leads the tight ends and touchdown catches, total catches, and total yards? Well, I love the um, more cowbell reference there hidden <laughs> in that question, uh, and I was trying to come up with something clever about putting my legs on one at a time. But when I the difference is when I make predictions. Their gold-plated diapers or whatever the line was. Um, so I'll just answer the question. Explore the space. Mitch Mitch Evans will lead in total catches and TD catches. I think Holden stays in yards. Um, I would have put Bauman and Eli in that equation, maybe consider them a little bit more. But Bauman hasn't practiced in a while. He's been a stationary bike guy. Eli didn't think he was going to be fully ready until they got to game one or game two. So, you know, I think by then Mitch Evans and Holden stays will, will have kind of solidified their roles. Not that those guys couldn't emerge later, but I just don't see them, uh, you know, that puts you behind on the totals. And then the other two tight ends are Cooper Flanagan and Sherwood. Cooper looks pretty physical. I don't know how well he's going to catch the ball and how many opportunities he'll get. Davis Sherwood is in there more for blocking. So that's the reasoning behind why loaded up on Mitchell Evans and Holden stays. Yeah. I, I expect stays to have a little bit of a breakout season, but I still think Evans is the number one tight end by a, a, a bit of a margin there. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Evans is the leader in all three. I, I'd be curious to like, look back. I didn't do this. Uh, how often do you have someone that at the tight end position doesn't lead all three of these categories? Because usually um, unless maybe the, I think touchdown catches can some sometimes be funky. Um, Notre Dame doesn't have a history. Their tight ends, the touchdown catches per season record was pretty, it was not as high as you'd think it was um, before Michael Mayer. So I, um, so maybe someone like Holden stays could get more, touchdown catches than Mitchell Evans, but I went with the same order as Eric I, Evans and Evans for catches and uh, touchdown catches and then stays with yards. I think he's a little bit more explosive, so he could have some, some run after better run after the catch possibilities uh, than Mitchell Evans. But um, I do think Evans will be the leading receiver at the tight end position. All right. Next question is from at Charles W. Wolf. Please fill in the blanks for our offense and defense. If I see blank happen this fall, I'll be encouraged by the progress under Marcus Freeman year two. Okay. I try to make it a singular concept. I, I, I found myself with the defense loading up too many things in it, too many ifs. So I just made one main if in each one of these. If I see Notre Dame become a more dynamic and versatile offense, and then if I see Notre Dame's defensive line become the surprise story for this team. Those are my two ifs. Yeah, I think for the offense, I would be, if I see a handful of wide receivers making plays, 
this fall. I'll be encouraged by the progress under Marcus Freeman year two. Um, for the defense, it would it would be I go back to the defensive line. I know I'm, I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over again. If I see the defensive line consistently getting pressure on the on the passer um, this fall, I'll be encouraged by the progress under Marcus Freeman year two. And a bonus for an overall statement: if I see no losses to lesser teams happen this fall, I'll be encouraged by the progress under Marcus Freeman year two because that's the biggest thing, at least from the head coach perspective that I think needs to happen this season to be encouraged by what, what Marcus Freeman is doing. And you don't have a Marshall and a Stanford loss on, on the, on the slate this year. All right. Our last question is from irons 50 on the inside lounge. Will Nolan Ziegler be a part of this team this season? If not, is Drake Bowen ready to step into that spot? I'll start with Nolan. I anticipate him playing and being a strong rotational player this season. Um, as far as Drake Bowen, whether whatever Nolan Ziegler situation would be, I expect Drake Bowen's going to play some anyways. He's very advanced physically. Uh, we've seen him move around to the different positions. He's played a little rover. He's played some middle linebacker, probably a natural will. Uh, so I think he's going to find himself on the field. I don't know in how many high leverage situations that would be. Um, and I think he'll play special teams. Yeah, I mean, I, I still believe that Nolan Ziegler will be a part of the team this season. He, he's dealing with a personal matter away from the team right now, but uh, I don't believe that that will prevent him from coming back at some point. Um, is Drake Bowen ready? Uh, I feel better about that now than I did in the spring. I think I I, I, I thought I would be more impressed by Drake Bowen in the spring than I was, but I, understanding that he had a lot on his plate trying to play baseball as well, um, I honestly think I, I liked what Preston Zinner did more in the spring than Drake Bowen, um, but I think they both looked sharp this fall, so I do think that Notre Dame has options um, in their interior linebacker spots um, if it needs to go down its depth chart to, to get some guys some more playing time. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with your coolest relative. Uh, we're back on YouTube on Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern for Football Never Sleeps. Um, please make sure you subscribe to us over there, even if you listen to the audio on this podcast feed. We are trying to get to 2,000 subscribers on the YouTube page before kickoff in Dublin. So head over there to the Inside Indie Sports YouTube page and help us out. And we will be back with you next week for another podcast. But until then, stick with InsideIndieSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. <laughs> <laughs>